There were many tears shed yesterday as we came to the throne of grace, and the bowl is full of quite a few uh, announcements, a lot of those, I mean, not announcements, but of confessions. And if you look at the stacks here, we have the prayer request from two years ago and the prayer request from, last, from this year. We have quite a few prayers that have been offered, a lot of people. As I sh- shared in Sunday school, um, we're not in heaven yet. And that's why we, we need to cling to God. Today's passage is in Joshua chapter 5. We're continuing in the series that is walking through the Holy Land. Uh, the, uh, the group that is going to go to the Holy Land in two months, in about 60 days, we're going to have lunch after church over the Green Turtle. If you have an interest to go or if you just want to participate to know more, you're welcome to join us at 1230. But I wanted to be able to tell you that you don't have to go to Israel. You don't have to. You can add some color to the black and white, but I want to take you there with the black and white. I want to be able to preach and proclaim to you that our sovereign God interacted with real people in this real world, and I want to be able to tell you it happened in real places like Gilgal. Let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible word. We'll be looking at chapter 5 of the book of Joshua. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they, until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because the people of Israel... Now, I know I'm just jumping right in, so let me give you just a brief context. This is a historical book, the book of Joshua. Uh, If you go through the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then you have the 12 history books where you have Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra and and Nehemiah and Esther. You You understand where I'm coming from. This is history. Don't get bored with history. Be fascinated by it. Now, in this particular case... Uh, the people of God are coming up into the promised land. They have to cross over this river called the Jordan. I'll explain it to you in a moment. And before they're crossing over, everybody that's on the other side of the Jordan where they're heading is afraid. And that's what the passage says. That the Lord had, when the, when the Lord had done these things, the kings that lived over there, even the ones that lived by the Mediterranean Sea, they're all afraid. That's how the passage starts. So in verse 2, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haralath. Verse 4, And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people... are Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. I just want to drive that point home. The people that came out of Egypt, all of them that were basically 20 and over, they all died in the wilderness. They had all been circumcised back when they were in Egypt. They did all the stuff they were supposed to. But while they were on the 40-year journey, they didn't. And it says here, they perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. 
The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 7, so it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised along the way. Verse 8, when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, wow, what a day that was. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal. Even to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on the very day that they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword in his hand. And Joshua said to him, Are you for us or against us? Are you for our adversaries? And the answer is, No, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now, I want you to think for a moment with me. Let us pray first. Dear Lord, I pray you'll take this passage, this historical event, the words that have been preserved for us from Scripture, And I pray that you might inspire us and even prepare us to come to the Lord's table. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today, I'm telling you we're going to Gilgal. Some of you already are picturing it in your mind. If you have a picture Bible or or a Bible that has a map in it, you might want to turn there and take a look. Uh, But I want to be able to answer a few questions. One, where is it? Secondly, why was it important? And thirdly, the obvious question is, so what? What does it have to do with us today? Okay, I want to encourage you through all of this that uh, as we take this journey, my hope is that that you will be ready to come and dine at the Lord's table. The first question is, where is it? I think I have a map that's coming up here, but I want to be able to talk about an, a, a basically, if, you're, if you could track with me, we are talking about an insignificant little place in a tiny little area, okay? And if you were to walk with me through the Holy Lands, and I'm going to go into the darkness here, but I'm going south. I'm going, well, I just want you to see that this providential, these chairs along the front row uh, that are facing you, just picture this as the Jordan River. So if you're looking there, right there, you see the Jordan River? Well, this is the Jordan River right in front of you. Okay, the communion table and everything is, is right along the Jordan coast. So this is the Jordan River, and it's not a stream, it's a river. It's pretty significant. Now, the reason I'm heading down here is because if you were a part of the people of God, you would have been way, way over here, south of Jericho. Let's see if I can get it. South of Jericho, if you keep going down, 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 you're going to find this city over here called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was one of the great places where they visited. They sent out the ten spies into the promised land, and they checked it all out, and the spies came back and said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. But most of the people of God here said, oh, but there's giants up there. And so they didn't trust God, 
and they had to go backwards into the wilderness for how long? 38 more years. It added up to be 40. But 38 more years, they're wondering. Now, when they finally came back, they came up by Kadesh, and they came back around. And if you are following along, they're along the Dead Sea down here. They're coming up on this side of the Dead Sea. So if this is the Dead Sea in front of me, I'm coming, all of these people are in the Dead Sea. Okay? <laughs> Now, when you come up around the Dead Sea, Moses is still with them. And if you could picture for a moment, what would it have been like? You're finally coming back after 38 years of wandering. It's 40 years since you left Egypt, and you're over here. And then this is where Moses stands up on this place, and I'm not going to fall here, but I'm standing on Mount Nebo. Mount Nebo was the last place that Moses got to stand because he died there. Chapter 34 of Deuteronomy. And Mount Nebo is right there. He got that close. He could look out and I can see it. I can see the promised land. But he couldn't go in. God said that Joshua would take the people. And they came further up. And they came around the Dead Sea. And they came all the way up. Right up to the Jordan. And this is where you can see the arrow pointing right there. This is where we find the people in the book of Joshua chapter 4. Are you tracking with me? You've just walked. Your, your shoes never wear out. You've been eating what every day? You get the picture. And now you're finally going to the promised land. Is your excitement up? You know that something is going to be different after years and years and years. And all the sadness of seeing all the older people die is, it should be over. Because finally what they looked for, what they told you about, what they dreamed about, a wonderful land flowing with milk and honey, you're going to go there and you're going to drink milk. And you're going to get honey. And you're not going to have to eat that bread anymore. I loved her response. Bread? Morning, night, and morning for lunch and dinner? You could just see it in their face. That's the way the, the younger generation was. And here they are. They're ready to go across. Now, as we picked up the story in chapter 5, uh, the people of God, and there's about 2 million of them, if you count men, women, and children. God has blessed them. Even though a lot of deaths have taken place, a lot of struggles during those 38 years, there's a great group of people. They're crossing over. The people of God are going to cross over the Jordan. And was that a big deal to cross the Jordan? It was a huge deal. And when you realize they came through the Jordan River, and on the other side, if you look at chapter 4 and 5, you're going to see that they had to erect a, a, a pile of stones, one for each tribe, to remember the great crossing. And I'll talk about it in a moment, but I want to give you the context that when they crossed the river and they're in the land, they had to have a place to sleep. Where are you going to rest? So they set up camp right over here. Let's call this... Gilgal. They crossed the river a little bit north and a little bit down here where these oasis for the palm trees are. That's Jericho. We're pretty close. And if you look up there, you can see how close we are. Jericho's a little to the south and it's, it's bordering up to the hills. But I'm in Gilgal and we're in the plains, the plains of the Jordan Valley. And the people, the two million people, they just set up their tents and they set this place up. And it was just a watering hole. There was no big city. There was no gates. There was no people there. They just set up camp and they named the city Gilgal. Now, just for the sake of purposes, I'm answering the first question. Where is it? Now you know where it is. I want you to know you can call it Lewis, Delaware. What do you mean? It was the first town in the first tribe. 
across the Jordan. Okay, Gilgal, was that an important place? It ended up becoming a part of the inheritance to the tribe of Benjamin. And it happened to be that one of the significant guys from the tribe of Benjamin, his name was Saul. Saul was the first king. And Saul loved Gilgal. That was one of his favorite places. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But here you have, I've answered the first question. The second question is, why is this place significant? And there are four R's that I want to be able to walk you through if you're taking notes. This is really the heart of the text. There are four things. The covenant was renewed. Secondly, the promises were realized. Thirdly, the reproach was removed. And fourthly, correction was received. I want to explain those real brief but I want to unpack it for you. I want you to know that God was interested in that community that met at Gilgal in that first little community that was established on that side of the Jordan. God took notice, just like God takes notice of the community that you find yourself. The covenant was renewed. Now, when you go through these four particular things, uh, the, the renewal of the covenant, the realize, realization of the promises, the removing of the reproach and the receiving of the correction, I need to explain them because you're going to say, wow, God really does care. He is interested in what we do. He's not just on vacation. He's not saying, oh, I'll do it if you want to. He is very, very much aware. Details. Pay attention, if you will. The first thing, the reason that there had to be covenant renewal, there's only two main reasons. If you have to renew something, uh, just like if you go to a library uh, and you have a book, why would you have to renew it? Because you've had it already and you haven't read it and you want to keep it longer. So you want to renew the deal. Now, when you're renewing a covenant, what does that mean? It means that you've had the covenant there, but you haven't used it. You haven't benefited from it. You've either You've either forgotten it or you have neglected it. You know what it's like. If you've forgotten it, that just means like, well, I I just didn't remember. Ignorance is always a great one, isn't it? But if you have neglected the covenant, what does that mean? That you have cognitively chosen to say, so what? I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to keep the terms that God has established. Now, remember, I'm going to explain this to you, that you had those two options. The scripture really doesn't tell us whether they forgot or whether they just neglected. But it does pretty much imply choice, too, because it calls it a transgression. And how do I know this? It's because you have your Bibles open. You'll see it, that when God looks at those people and he says that they have done evil, verse 6, for the people of God... Walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nations and men of war who came out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. So that to me tells me that they chose not to, but it really doesn't matter because both of them are sins. The sins of omission or the sins of commission. They're both sins. And what are the wages of sin? separation from God. We know that. It's always been that way because God never has said, oh, I like these sins, but I don't like those. So when you look at this, the people of God have neglected the covenant of God, and now there's a need for covenant renewal. And when you, when you think about this covenant renewal, there had to be preparations for it. The people that are going to have to renew the covenant, they don't know all the details. It's a new crowd. And so as you listen to the story unfold, you see some fascinating details. I want to show you three of them. There was the crossing. 
the crossing. When they cut across this Jordan River, I told you it was a big deal. Why was it a big deal? I mean, wasn't it just like when, when uh, George Washington crossed the Delaware? He did it in the middle of the night, and he had those boats, and he got through with the, with the icebergs, right? That's how they crossed the Jordan, all two million of them. We all know that that is not even close to reality because we know that the, Red sea, uh, the Jordan River parted just like the chairs are parted here. There was a strip of dry land for the people of God to come across. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, it's a miracle. That's a good thing. Isn't it sad when I'm blowing off a miracle? The reason it's a big deal is because there were people among the people of God who remembered something. This is just like it was 40 years ago when we left Egypt and we were stuck at the Red Sea and we couldn't get across and we panicked and God opened up the Red Sea and we walked through on dry land. There were a few people that still remembered. I know one was named Joshua, one was named Caleb, and there were a good number of other ones who were less than 20 years of age when they left. They were teenagers and kids, but they would remember. That the same God who brought them out of Egypt is the same God that's bringing them into the promised land. Do you catch it? The preparations for the renewal, it's really awesome. Secondly, after you deal with the crossing, is you have this, uh, this, this I guess, this uh, Ebenezer that's erected. As they're going through, why does God tell Joshua and the people to pick up some stones? So that they would remember and he does something interesting. He says all 12 tribes need to pick up a stone. That means, okay, even you, little Benjamin, pick up a stone. Even you, if you want to say Asher or, or Dan or if you want to say Manassas or Reuben, all of you guys, send a, send a representative and pick up a stone. Now, the stone that they picked up was, it was not a pebble. And they picked it up out of the Jordan River bed. And they brought these stones over and put them there. Why did they do that? It's an obvious answer. You already know it. It's so that they would remember. But was it really for the people that walked through to remember? It was for the people that would come after them, for their children and for their grandchildren. You see, because already God was saying, your children are not going to remember this. They're going to think that that's a great myth. Like Paul Bunyan chopping down, you know, something or, or that you know, all these stories that we have, we don't know if they're true or not. And that, that'll be what happens to the next generation. So they pulled these huge rocks out, put them in a pile, and that was preparation for the renewal. Because they're saying, you guys, you need to give testimony that God is God. That he parted the waters for you. And the third thing that you find out in preparation when I, when I, was, I was going through this was the ordination of a new leader. And you're going to find that in verse 13 and following where Joshua now is not just a nice guy that's, that's been helping Moses. Now Joshua is ordained. He is set apart. He is, he is encountering the living and true God. And everybody that knew Joshua after this point, they saw a difference. What was the command that Joshua got from the very beginning of the book? Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Okay, and that's repeated over and over and over. And then the commander of the Lord's host stands before him and he says, I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I'm God. I believe this is a theophany. It's when Jesus shows up in the Old Testament as a person. And he gave instructions to this man. He set him apart to be the leader of the people of God. All of that is in preparation for the people to renew the covenant. Now, 
I want to be able to tell you how did they actually renew the covenant then. All these preparations are taking place. There are two signs that you can see back-to-back observed. And I think if you look in the modern church today, you should be able to find the same two things. If you want to be a part of the covenant community, you need these two things. Two sacraments. The first one was the sacrament of circumcision. The second was the sacrament of the Passover. Now, these things were things that... Who set them in motion, by the way? Absolutely, God set them in motion. And if you go back and could take the study, go back to Genesis chapter 15, and you'll see where God entered into a covenant with Abraham. God says, I will be God. You will be my people. He ratified that in chapter 15, where he put Abraham to sleep, and he passed between the parts of the animal, which basically is to say this... Abraham, you can't keep your part of the covenant, but I can, and I'll keep it for you. And if there's some kind of breakage down, then I'll take the punishment that's due for breaking a covenant. I'll take the punishment of death. You can see the gospel that's all in the covenant. And that was all established back with Abraham. So all of these are Abraham's descendants, and that's why they're the people of God. They are Abraham's descendants. You can see all of that so clearly. The two, two sacraments that were established with Abraham was circumcise the firstborn, or circumcise all the boys. And then secondly, he said in, when, the, uh, covenant, when in Exodus chapter 12, they established the meal. You'll eat the Passover and then you'll depart. And so these two things were, were things that were instituted by God and the people were supposed to keep them. And they hadn't in the last 40 years. Oh, well, pastor, they did, it. they did have communion once. They did have the, have the Passover once. Yes, if you go, to, go into the passage and you're going to look in, in uh, Numbers chapter 9, after they had gotten the Ten Commandments and they set up shop, God says, you guys, you just got the covenantal law. They got the Ten Commandments. I mean, they got the real ones. They looked at the actual ones that God wrote with his finger. Can you imagine? And it was there he said, look, we're going to have the Passover meal. We're going we're gonna to practice this thing that you're supposed to do as the people of God regularly. Now, if you understand those two kinds of things, isn't it kind of cool how they renewed the covenant? Now, I told you there were four things that I got to move through because we'll never finish. Uh, secondly, we had the promise was realized. The promise that I'm talking about is that you'll be able to have the milk and the honey. It was right after this time that the manna stops. And actually, personally, when I read the text, I thought, oh, what a sad day when the manna stopped. Wouldn't it be cool to keep getting it? And then I started to think about how, just like our our panel up here showed us, that's what was going on in people's hearts. They were not longing for more manna. They were longing for, for the promise to be realized. And we're all looking for the promise that's ahead of us too. A day when we get to go to a place where there's no more tears, no more crying, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more misunderstandings, no more deficiencies. Wow. We're waiting for the promise to be realized. But that was a great day for them as the covenant was renewed. God was saying, I do keep my word. Thirdly was the reproach was removed. If you look at the text there, you're going to find it clearly right there. It says, uh, as they all, he says, I am going to remove the reproach this day from 
verse 8 and 9. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished and remained in their places, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so that the name of this place shall be called Gilgal. So from every time from that point on, Gilgal became a became a, a crossroads. It became a new way of looking at things. Now the way that I deal with the reproach is from this one little slogan that, that I heard from somebody else. It says that you can take people out of Egypt, but can you take Egypt out of people? Have you heard that one? Well, the reproach that I believe that is coming out here where, where God declares emphatically the reproach of Egypt is gone. Number one is that when you were in Egypt, you were humiliated, you were despised, you were mistreated. All the other abuse terms that you could use, yes, they applied. And what he's saying right now is, if you're in a covenant relationship with me, let it go. Let it go. Today in our culture, we have a lot of people who don't want to let it go. They want to look back at some other season in our history, and they don't want to let go. They want to hang on, and they want to punish you. They even want you to apologize for things that happened hundreds of years ago. You see, this is a part of the struggle when, when you're a part of the covenant people of God. When you are in relationship with the living and true God, you can, the reproach is gone. The reproach of slavery is no longer brought back up. The second part, though, is a little bit of an interest. Can you take Egypt out of the people? Up to this point in time, in the 38 years, there were a few moments where you could hear them say, we wish we were still in Egypt. Oh, it would have been better. Oh, they had leeks and they had onions and they had this and this. Oh, this is so bad out here. We wish we were back there. Have you ever heard Christians say, oh, I wish I could do what I used to do? Have you said that? You see, when you're in a renewal relationship with God, you don't look at the sin that you've enjoyed and say, we, let's do it again. The reproach and the delight is gone. It's removed. The promised land is before us. And the, third th- or the fourth thing that I want to highlight there is that there was some judgment, that, uh, some correction that was received. If you turn to 1 Samuel 15, this happened a few hundred years later, but I want you to know how it all unfolded in 1 Samuel 15. And Saul says to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which, you have, which the Lord has sent me. I have brought this guy named Agag, the king of, the, of Amalek, and I have devoted, uh, I have devoted the Amaleks, um, I can't even say it. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. He's, Saul is standing there before the preacher man, and Saul is the new king. Saul is a great guy. He's a doer. He gets things done. He's the king. He's handsome. Everybody likes Saul. They're looking to Saul, and they're over at Gilgal, and Samuel comes up to him, and he says, Saul, what's going on? And the report that comes from Samuel, uh, the report that comes from Saul says, I have done what I'm supposed to do. Here's my report card. Check, 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 check. I got an A. You should pat me on the back, Samuel. I've even helped you out because you were late. You didn't get your work done. You didn't come help with the worship service. So I stepped up and I even helped. I am even ahead of you. I'm making your life better. You take the next verse. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord. He says, I've even helped the people to partner with me to be able to make this even better. And the next verse, Samuel comes back and he says, 
Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than worship, than sacrificing. And he says to listen to God is so much more pleasing than even the aroma of the fat lambs, uh, the rams that are being offered. If you're standing in Gilgal on that day, you're going to know that the Lord says, my covenant is important. My ways are not to be trifled with. You can't help me by changing the plan. You can't do what's right in your own eyes and say, oh, it's going to work out better because I'm helping. No, it is important in covenant renewal to be obedient. And that's why the next king of Israel had a heart after God's own heart. And that's why I pray all of us will enter into the covenant renewal accordingly. Now, I told you there was three points. The first one, where's Gilgal? We all know where it is. Secondly, I asked you what happened there that was significant. You've seen a lot of it. There's a lot more that I could show you, but that's where we want to stop. Thirdly, I want to say, so what? I want to answer that question for you briefly. When you look at this, you have to conclude one thing. That you and I need to be in covenant relationship with God. There's no other alternative. There's no other choice that makes any sense. If you're not in a covenant relationship with God, then you are just out there saying, well, I got a business relationship with him. You know, I pay him this and he's supposed to do this for me. What other kind of relationship is there? There isn't. Because I'm trying to tell you that the people in the land that Joshua just stepped into, let's, let's say, for instance, the little town of Jericho. If you could bring that one up there again, that picture. If you were in the town of Jericho when Joshua came over with the people, what's going on in your mind? Fear. You know that there's a God out there, and you know that that God is not on your team. You know that that God is pretty cool, because that God parted the waters. And that God had some neat stories about how all of the Egyptian kingdom had been wiped out just 38 years later, earlier. If you're the king sitting in, jo- in Jericho, you're not boasting, oh, we are so good and so great. They are so petrified that they're afraid to come out. They lock down the gates of the, it's almost like a a, a prison. They don't let anybody in and let anybody out. And all the while, if they would have been smart, they should have just come out during the circumcisions and they should have just wiped out everybody. There would not have been much resistance. But they were afraid. And when you don't have a covenant relationship with God, you're going to, if you have any knowledge of this God, you're going to be afraid of him. And you're going to try to depend on your own things like your walled cities and your fortifications and your manipulation of the situation. You're going to be like that. And we all know what happens when you're not in covenant relationship with God. You perish. But what about the, oh, well, I have to tell you what else happened at, at I got the, the verse here. If you have it in your Bibles, I should, I should want to take you to Joshua chapter 9, verses 3 through 15. Turn in your Bibles there. Joshua chapter 9, beginning at verse um, 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their own part acted with cunning and went in and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins and worn out and torn... and mended with worn out patches sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their provisions were dry and crumbly and they went to Joshua in the camp at 
Gilgal. And he said to them and to the men of Israel, We have come from a great distance, so make a covenant with us so that we don't have to suffer. Now, think about this for a moment. There are other people who are not in covenant relationship with God, the Gibeonites. They're so close, but so far away. The Gibeonites know that they don't know God, but they try to make a deal with God. And so they fake it. They're the masters at faking. They acted like they had traveled for a long journey. I could just picture them with the wise men coming from the east. You know, it just feels like it took them years to get there with their dry and crumbly bread. And I wanted to be able to highlight this, is that these folks wanted to not perish. So they tried to make a deal with God. And they faked out Joshua because Joshua didn't ask God about it. There's three kinds of folks in this passages. Those those that are in Jericho, those that are the Gibeonites, and those that are in Gilgal in the camp. Which one do you relate to? If you have a covenant relationship with God, then you have nothing to fear. Because the covenant that God has entered into, the new covenant for which the name of our church has been given, is a new covenant in his blood. It's at the communion table. And the two sacraments now are bloodless instead of bloody. When they did circumcisions, they had to have knives because it cuts. And there's bleeding. And it's... I'm not an expert. So when you come to the New Testament, what are the two sacraments? We believe that there's baptism and the Lord's Supper, both of which are done now not for just the descendants of Abraham, but those who are the children of Abraham by faith. Those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to the table because it is, he has prepared it for us. We're forgiven. We're under his blood. We have been set apart with baptism, not to be saved, but because we are saved. We are numbered with the people of God. Is it a big deal? It's a big deal to the one who made the covenant. If you're going to be in covenant relationship with him, find out what the covenant relationship means. Because to be in Christ, I wouldn't want to be with the other people. To be in the body of Christ where he fulfills his promises. The land flowing with milk and honey. When you read the rest of the story, God gives them an inheritance, just like he promised. And that's what he does for us. Our home is not here, it's there. And he's gone to prepare that place for us, John chapter 14, for all who believe. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you might help us to to be excited about being numbered with the people of God. Lord, we realize that we are sinners. We're prone to wonder. We have the tears, even as our brother demonstrated. They are genuine. They're not masked. We struggle, we have pain, especially with the lost loved ones. Folks that we have ministered to, many of us have children that are, that are not inclined to follow in the ways of the Lord. To neglect or to ignore the covenant relationship. Oh Lord, I pray that you will help us to draw near. That we will be renewed even as we come to the table in just a moment. Oh Lord, I pray that you will give salvation to the lost. Because there was one person in Jericho who felt the grace. Her name was Rahab. God, you opened up her eyes. And it wasn't just that she feared dying. She wanted to be in the covenant community. And Lord, we are so fascinated that you even included her in the lineage of Jesus. Oh, the great grace. Oh, the marvelous love. In Jesus' name I pray.
If the elders would come forward at this time, we have an announcement first from Brother 